You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. My name is Matt Shiles, and I am joined by my co-host, my podcast partner, the powerful preacher, Pastor Josh Laxton. <laughs> powerful preacher. There you go. So, well, Matt, it is great to be with you today and just always love our time together. So last week you said, let's switch it up. You do the intro. And I said, no. I'm not prepared, so I figured I had to at least try this time. So I'm excited for us to uh, to dig into this week. So. Uh, well, that's awesome. Well, yeah, and it's so funny, like, because I tried to put you on the spot last week, and yeah. you're like, man, I, I need just a, a, a little bit of of time to think through it. I'm like, all right, well, no, no worries. So, but you did a great job. Didn't he do a great job, everybody? You know, <laughs> even though you can't clap for him, but where you're at in your car, your house, man, he did a great job. You know, wouldn't that be something if every time you walked into a room, you were announced like that? Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, please don't. <laughs> so, please don't. <laughs> so this week is uh, the second week of Northland 2.0. This is honoring the past without hindering the future. This was January 28th and 29th, 2023, and we were in Joshua. Joshua 1, 1 through 11. The main point is to honor the past without hindering the future. We must let God continue what he started. And the key there is to let God. And as a reminder, our outline, three things we need to do to let God continue what he started. We need to let go. We must listen up. And we must load up. Um, So before we kind of dig in, I want to start by talking about this book on Ford because you uh, you started you spent about five ten minutes bashing Ford for a little bit. I don't know about ten minutes <laughs> bashing Ford, but it's but it was so true. Like I mean, yeah. I've had had multiple people come up to me, and yes, like in in the eighties and nineties, yeah. you did not want a Ford, and yeah. then it, you know this book actually tells you why you didn't want a Ford. I yeah. mean, they cut a lot of corners, and mm. they they had just a poor product at mm. that point. And so, so having read that book, I actually understood yeah. more of the backstory of why people bash Ford. So, so my father-in-law John um, had one of the final Pintos. That's what he told me. Did he? He did. So I didn't realize this. I I didn't know it was a horse either. And I and I uh, said to him, "Did you realize it was a horse?" He goes, "Of course I knew that. Yes. There was a little horse on the, you know, just like the Mustang. Mustang, I guess there was a little horse on I, yeah. the car." I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Pinto in person. Uh, maybe, I, yeah, I, but I didn't know it was a horse, but it makes sense, though. I mean, if it was a Mustang, might, might as well have a, you, you know, a Pinto. But I heard that they blew up. Like, if you, if you, if somebody tell, you know, kind of rear-ended you, it could kind of blow up. And so that was wow. kind of the whole thing around uh, Pinto. So wow. you didn't want a Pinto. Wow. So... But I do want to ask you about that book, American Icon. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about some of the lessons uh, you've been gleaning from that book. Yeah, what what led me to this book, and I, I think I was listening to a podcast or something, and it talked about how the author of this book recounted the turnaround 
of Ford. And so it was. It was one of the greatest turnarounds or comeback stories in American manufacturing history. And so where Ford had gotten to, it, if it continued on the way it was, was going, it, they were going to be bankrupt. Wow. And so they actually had to do some drastic things to get Ford back on track. And so the reason why I wanted to kind of go down that road of reading this book was was twofold. One, I, I do continue to teach organizational leadership mm. at Wheaton College in the graduate school. And then two, knowing that Northland, we have an opportunity to, to truly have one of the, I would say, greatest comeback stories in American church history, in terms of where Northland was at the height, where Northland was when I got here, and then where we all believe that that God wants to take Northland in the future. And so yeah. I just wanted to see what, what were some of the principles that helped Ford make that incredible turnaround. So uh, th- there are a couple of, I mean, there are a couple of principles that definitely I-, I have learned and that I, you know, have charted as I read through that book. But one was you, you have to, you have to face reality. Mm. Here's where we are, mm. and here's what's wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're going to turn around, you, you do. You you've got to at least be realistic about where you are and what actually needs to to change. And when you look at Ford, there were a lot of things that were actually wrong. I mean, it was a toxic culture. It was very divisive. And no, there, there was no trust. Uh, from the top down, they, if they would say something, you have people shake their heads, and then they're like, all right, I'm going to go do what I want to. You know, so you, it, it was a very low account of, accountability type of culture. And so that, that's what you had there. And then a lot of corners are cut. They also had had become so big, you know, globally that they had forgotten who they are mm. and so had forgotten core values, which is part of what I showed this past weekend of when Alan Mulally took over, you know, okay, what are we? You know, who are we? Mm. And what are these core values that we need to to rally around in order to move forward to where we need to be, and so so these are um, th- these are definitely things that at least learning from Ford and and then even you know when we think about Northland 2.0 and we think about what's coming up, here's our mission. This is who we are, mm-hmm. and then our our four C's and our vision. This is what we do, and we're going to rally around those. So very similar or in a similar fashion, we are doing behind the scenes, or we have been doing the last ten months what what Ford actually did early on in their turnaround. Who are we? What what are we all about? Let's rally around that. Mm-hmm. And let's create a healthy culture, that, that one that is not toxic. It's not one based upon fear. Like, I don't want people to be afraid of their job. I don't want f- people to feel like uh, if they have a poor performance that somebody's going to yell at them. That's not very gospel-like at all. And so we, we definitely want to have a high accountability culture, but we want to have a v- very much a gospel-centered culture that it truly is centered around Jesus, centered around His Word, mm-hmm. even the list that I made about God-glorifying, uh, Christ-centered, gospel-centered, spirit and Empowered, family oriented, all of those things. Like that's that's who we want to be, and so or those are the values and the kind of church and characteristics of the kind of church we want to be. So, so very again, all of that said, uh, things that I'm gleaning from the book or have gleaned from the book or things that we had already started doing here at Northam when when I got here. Hmm. That's great, and it's it's fascinating that you said you know once you 
you read the book, once you look behind the curtain of the inner workings of Ford, it was easy to see why they were such a, a bad product. Yeah, like one, yeah. I mean, one of the things that Mulally did early on, I mean, early on, he brought all of the executives into the room weekly and started to hold them accountable. And he had this system of green, yellow, red about where they were on their goals and their projects. And for, for I think it was like at least for weeks, months, everybody had green, and there was no way they mm-hmm. could have green. But there was this one instance where Mark Fields, one of the one of the execs, he he had all of this courage and it was over the Ford Edge that was that was coming out. Mm-hmm. They were way behind, and something had happened because that's what led them to be kind of way behind of their launch. And he turned his line red. And because of the past culture, people thought, man, he's going to get canned. Ah. He's going to get fired. No, but that completely started the change mm-hmm. of, of people just being honest where they were. And so Malali actually applauded mm-hmm. Mark. And actually, when Malali stepped down, I think, yeah, sometime in 2011, tw- no, 2016, Mark Fields took over. Now, he's no longer the CEO there. But, I mean, again, it, it's just one of those things of how you start changing the culture. Mm-hmm. And if you can start changing the culture, you'll actually start changing the direction of the church, you know, of the church, of the organization, whatnot. That's awesome. A lot of, uh, a lot of great lessons that we can learn. So thanks for sharing that with us and bringing that to us. Um, So thinking about this weekend, we really had an incredible weekend. We had baptisms. Yeah. 32. uh, 32 baptisms. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. A couple of people got sick because we had we had 40 scheduled, but a couple of people got sick and, you know, couldn't make it last minute. And so, but 32, amazing. Amen. Amen. We also uh, took up a benevolence offering. Um, so we're, we're going to be doing that the, the fifth Sunday. Yeah. Fifth Sunday or, yeah, the, the, yeah, fifth, fifth Sunday. Sunday, that weekend. Exactly. So that will, that will happen, what, four times a year, I think. Yep. So can you talk to us a little bit more about this benevolence offering? Why it's important for us to... Um, um, to take up an offering for benevolence and care for our own. Yeah. So Marsh, he definitely alluded to the passage in Acts 2 where there was no one mm-hmm. who was in need that didn't have their need met yeah. in the early church. And we'll actually be in that passage, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend when we look at our four C's, ah. because you can actually see all four of those C's contained in that one passage. Mm-hmm even though we have taken those four C's from Genesis to Revelation in every mission passage, in which I, I, I can't wait to kind of share that process with everyone. But for, for Northland, I, I want people to realize, too, that part of our, our budget, an, an element of our budget, and again, a small percentage every month is set aside for benevolence. Mm-hmm. But we tend to go through that benevolence Every month. And so we want to, and that's why we wanted to take these four weekends every year and supplement our benevolent fund so that we can meet even more needs. And so these these funds will be used for those who are engaged at some level at, at Northland. And it could be medical bills, it could be rent, it could be 
maybe a power bill if something's happened and maybe a loss of job and they need something to kind of carry them over until they find another job like it, it I mean it's those it's those needs it's I mean it's it's not wants <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they, these are these are needs and and because of their connection to Northland if they consider Northland their 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 home uh, their family we 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 definitely want to rally around them and so so these four weekends will just supplement our benevolent funds so that we can make sure that we cover all of the needs that that surface in the northern family yeah and it was really inspiring to uh to see the way that northland responded man you guys responded w- without much warning i mean we well, were ready yeah well, and, I, and and it really it, it it was a beautiful scene right to see people walk up yeah and to you know it could be in a dollar i mean i saw students coming up giving it giving a dollar saw my saw saw a couple of my kids come up you, you know and and i love that and you know seeing people you know, if they didn't have check um or cash i'm going to take a picture and give that way so I mean, yeah, it was such a beautiful picture of the mobilization of the church in just one area of what it means to be the church. Yeah, yeah, I agree because because we, we didn't we didn't see the amount that people were giving, but we got to see the physical act of them moving, and it was it was inspiring. Absolutely, so, um, I'm looking forward to that again. So let's look at the uh, the three things we need to do to let God continue what He started. The first one is let go. Um, so Joshua one two Moses my servant is dead. This idea of um, you know you talked about what is holding you back. Yeah. So what can we learn from how Joshua had to deal with this reality of Moses, Moses, the, you know, the servant of God, being dead and gone. Yeah. But before I, I get get there. I, there's a New Testament passage that I think is important for us to to know and to maybe even memorize, and it comes from Philippians 1, verse 6, where Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out uh, to completion until the day of Christ, Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so even... The Apostle Paul is going to pick up on this theme that he who began a good work, who's he? That's, that's, that's Jesus, that's God. So he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of completion and the day of Christ Jesus. And so, again, we we, we see that or we saw that in, in Joshua 1 where what what God's getting ready to do with Joshua and Israel, he had started back with Abraham and he had started back with Moses. But I also think it's important for us to once again get this scene in our in our in our minds of what really had transpired because here's another passage that that's in the New Testament that Paul that that will help us that Paul gives us that helps us to understand actually the first five books and obviously Joshua and Judges but but what was going on at that particular time. So so here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, these things happened to them, talking about Israel, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. Now, just a few verses earlier, here's what he writes. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, which means uh, worship something else, someone else other than God, as some of them were, as it 
is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Uh, We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Uh, We should not test Christ, as some of them did. So even Paul's going to say that that Jesus was present in the Old Testament. So pre-incarnate Jesus, like, so Jesus is very much part of the Old Testament, that that he's, he's supposed to be the center. And um, and they were killed by snakes. And so, again, that you can find that in Numbers where there's this unbelief. They're not putting God as the center. And now the snakes come. They start biting them. And then also, if you've ever seen an ambulance, m- many of them have the, the symbol of the snake. Well, that actually is come, that comes from Numbers where so if you were bit by one of these snakes, God had instructed Moses to to create a bronze serpent. They were to look at the statue, and that's how they were going to be healed. And then you will find a reference to that passage in in John chapter 3, that Jesus now is the bronze serpent, that if you've been bit by sin, which we all have been bit by sin, if you look to Jesus as king, if you look to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then even though you've been bit by sin, you will not you will not face the fatal effects of sin, but you will be saved. So again, <laughs> you, you know, this is what Paul is getting at. So everything that happened in the Old Testament, even with Israel, are examples for us today. So I was with the students last night and I was I was teaching them this background. So you have to you have to picture in your mind, all right, so you have Egypt. So imagine like so let's say you're 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 facing forward. So Egypt is in kind of the 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 downward left position. That's where Egypt is. Then you have Canaan kind of in the top right portion. All right, then you have the wilderness, kind of the bottom right, a little further right of Canaan. And, and what you have is Egypt represents for us sin, enslavement to sin, uh, disobedience. It's our sinful nature that we have, we have been enslaved by our sin nature that we have this, we have this natural inclination to disobey God. Mm. But... God sent Jesus, the ultimate Moses, the ultimate deliverer and rescuer, and he did not come from the wilderness because that's where Moses had fled to. He had fled to the wilderness, although he was a Hebrew, grew up in Pharaoh's court. He took matters into his own hands. So instead of waiting on God to tell him how he was going to rescue and be the Hebrew deliverer, he takes matters into his own hand, kills an Egyptian, and now he has to flee because he's on the Egyptian most wanted. So he flees into the wilderness. That's where God meets him 40 years later to send him back to Egypt. So he comes from the wilderness, but Jesus comes from heaven. So Jesus comes from heaven to deliver us from our sin, to deliver us from the penalty of sin, to reconcile us to God. And what Jesus is going to do, just as Moses was tasked to, Jesus is going to lead us to the promised land. Well, Josh, what's the promised land today? Well, again, at that point in time, you have to understand that the promised land was a strategic piece of property. And the strategic piece of property meant that it was the major trade route of the day. So all of these surrounding nations would go through the heart of the promised land, and God wanted to station his people there that were monotheistic, meaning that they worshiped one God. His name was Yahweh, and he was the God of all creation. He was the God of every nation. And so he wanted to strategically place them there. He wanted to let them flourish. He wanted them to be prosperous. 
prosperous. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to be successful. He wanted them uh, to have a great relationship with one another. Because just as in just as the new church that that, we, that you see in Acts, where there there should be no needy among them, that was actually also in Israel. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't had no poor. Any of of the Israelites that had needs, it should have been met. That the widow should have been taken care of. The orphan should have been taken care of. All of these things because God wanted to show what what his people would look like when they made him the center. Mm. So again, this is what Jesus is going to do for us because again, what God did with Israel was basically an example to ultimately what Jesus wants to do with all of the human race. So what's our promised land, Josh? Well, it's, a, it's a place where we flourish. It's a place where new life happens. It's a place where an abundant life takes place. It's a place of beauty and harmony. It's a place of reconciliation. It, it, it's a place of encouragement and exhortation. It's a place of care. It's I mean, so all of the things that God wants to do among among his people that like that's that that is only accomplished in Jesus's death and resurrection. Mm. And so what the Bible teaches in the New Testament and this is what's so fascinating is that just as in Joshua they're going into the land to conquer the land. They never completely drove out the inhabitants. So so today with the church we are we are experiencing glimpses of the promised land. Mm. So, so we we are. If you think about it, that's why we live by the Spirit, so that we don't gratify the desires of sinful flesh. That's that's Galatians five, that Paul writes that, and so and that's why the the armor of God is so important. We're going to put on the armor of God because we are in we're in the enemy's territory, but it's God's territory that He's given us. Mm-hmm. So the enemy is fighting against what God wants to give us. And then the author of Hebrews actually talks about how Jesus is is going to come again to give us the eternal rest. So that's again like, and this is one of the things that I, I actually wrote this down as just an illustration for 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 me. All right. So again, if you're looking if you're looking straight ahead, you have Egypt kind of lower quadrant, mm-hmm. uh, you have Canaan kind of upper right quadrant, you have the the wilderness kind of to to the side little, little side right of, of of Canaan, the promised land, and then you have Jesus coming down. All right, and this is what's so cool. All right, so he wants to deliver us and take us to the promised land. Yeah. But we also talk about how Jesus is going to come back a second time. Yeah. And so he's gone off to, to back to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, but he's going to come down a second time and he's going to establish the new city, Jerusalem. So what, what ultimately he's going to do is where we're at in, in conquering the, the life that, that he wants to give us, he's going to set up new Jerusalem where he will completely wipe out all of the enemies. He's going to completely make all things new and therefore we'll be able to live forever in the new city of Jerusalem, devoid of sin, devoid of mourning, crying, pain, and death. And so so really Joshua 1, I hope that makes it a little bit more alive that what God began to do even in Abraham in in calling a people, in redeeming a people for himself, he continues to do today. And this life that he has purchased for us through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are now called to pursue. And um, so now, with all of that background, I know I've talked a lot, so very sorry for that. But with all that background, the, the first thing is we must let go. 
So yeah, for, for Northland, what do we need to let go as a corporate body that's been in our 50-year past, yeah. right? And I made a, a lot of lists there. Yeah. But, but in terms of individually, what Jesus has purchased for you, what do you need to let go? Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to let, let go of an ad- addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, may, maybe you need to let go of a friend. Maybe you need to let go of a place that you frequent. Maybe you need to let go of a of, of a kind of genre movie that you watch. What do you need to let go of that actually is preventing you from moving further into the life that God has given you? And so the same thing with the church is what is preventing us from moving further into the the kind of corporate life and mission that, that God wants for us. Because again, you got to go also back to why again has God given them the promised land? Well, it was not ultimately for them. It was ultimately for his glory because in blessing them, he wanted them ultimately to be a blessing. And so again, whatever is, whatever is holding you back from actually being the conduit by which God blesses others, you need to let go. That's dead. That's gone. That's in the past. And so all of that said, that 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 is is how we need to begin to even think about truly letting go of things that hold us back from the life that God wants to give us that he has purchased for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Man, that was a uh that was a great description and explanation of of how alive Joshua can be, how how much it connects to Genesis, how it connects to the Old Testament, to Jesus. Um, that's something that, that I, have, I have heard and I've experienced as well, how appreciative we are of how much we are connecting the Old Testament back to the New Testament. So yeah. um, thanks for that. You know, this is a podcast that is recorded, so I would encourage you to, uh, to rewind and listen, listen to that again, maybe create your own sketch of... Uh, of the promised land of, of Egypt and the wilderness, um, go to the back of your Bible, look at your maps there, and, uh, and you can see. Let, um, me, let me ask you a question. This is a trivia question, so I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. So do you know why Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? Because if you, if you look again at the map, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the promised land is, I mean, it's just next door to Egypt. Yeah. And if you look at their wilderness wanderings and yeah. then where they're actually at yeah. before they go into the promised land, they have gone all the way up north and they're about to enter into the promised land from the north mm-hmm. via the Jordan River. Yeah. But they started south in Egypt. Do you know why they wandered for 40 years? Um, probably a couple reasons. So their unbelief with okay. Joshua and Caleb. So they were the only two of the 12 scouts. Right, the rest of the scouts uh, said we can't go. Right, there was uh, this unfaithfulness there. Um, the other reason might be so forty holds significance in the Bible. So maybe why why forty and not twenty? Forty holds significance. Um, I believe God said the entire generation, right, that unfaithful generation um, that didn't show faith to enter the promised land, they would have have to die out. Um, before entering. So I believe it was Joshua and Caleb were the only two over 20, right? Yeah, they were the only two. And you can find that in Numbers 14, where a generation is going to pass, that they're going to be prohibited from going into the promised land. So you, so that is definitely one reason. Yeah. Is, but and, and this is a whole lesson in and of itself. Uh, but you, you need to be aware of who you're following, 
Yeah. Because you can have 10 people, a vocal majority, that tells you to do something that God has not told you to do mm. that will prevent you from realizing God's promises and God's best in your life. So that's why you got to stick to what God said, which we'll get to that in a second. But there's a second reason, and you can find that in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, to humble and test the hearts, mm. to humble and test the hearts. Like if you, if you won't believe me in, in the wilderness – you're not going to believe me in the promised land. Hmm. And so there's some of you today that you you are going through a wilderness wondering. Like you 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 feel like your life is dry, you feel like it is barren, you feel like it's not going quite according to plan. Will you trust God in your wilderness? Hmm. Because that wilderness is going to be a time of testing your heart to see if it really does cling to the Lord. And so we, we saw early on that, I mean, again, they, they get out of, I mean, they get out of Egypt and they immediately begin to complain. They immediately begin to grumble multiple times. They, they, they want to get rid of Moses. Yeah. And so, so God is trying to test their hearts to, to purify their hearts to say, listen, yeah. I love you. I'm with you. Man, I've just freed you. I'm not going to bring you out only to have you die in the wilderness. And so, but 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 if you can't get it right in the wilderness, you're not going to get it right in the promised land. Mm. And so so again, a whole generation had to pass before they got it right. And so when I do feel like there are many Christians in, in two different ways, they just choose to live in the wilderness. And so they choose to live in the land of in-between. The, the land in between of Egypt and the promised land. And, and so they straddle between two worlds, and we saw that with Lot. I mean, he, he basically is a wilderness journeying Christian. Mm. And then also, you, all, you also, and you see this in, in Joshua, we didn't get to it, but there were, there were going to be two and a half tribes that stayed on the east side. And what's so fascinating about those two and a half tribes is that they just wanted that land, and Moses gave them that land. God didn't give them that land. And so let me ask you, do do you want what God wants to give you, or do you just want what man can give you? And the thing about those two and a half tribes, uh, they would actually fall first. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that fell first into idolatry, and they also, later on in Israel's history, they are also going to be the first tribes that fall to outside armies coming in to invade the promised land. Mm. And so you're always left vulnerable when you're outside what God wants to give you. And so, again, this is part of where what we're talking about with with our our heart's desire to let God continue what he started. Let's let God lead. Let's not let Josh lead. Let's let, let, let's not let our opinions, our preferences, or our feelings to lead. Let's let's let go and let God. Oh man, that's so good. I uh, I have about a hundred questions because of that. So let's um. But it's so cool to when you bring in, and that's where you know, on a sermon <laughs> that is a 40, 45 minute sermon, you cannot, I mean, it's, yeah. it's impossible to bring in all of those contexts yeah. and connections. Yeah. But it's, it is amazing when you start putting all of that together of what God wanted to give them yeah. a land flowing with milk and honey, yeah. a, a land that was, I mean, and again, it's not even that big of a land. But it's going to be in that land. So it, here's another theme throughout scripture that you will see. 
And you see that in the Garden of Eden, you see it in the Promised Land, you see it in the church, and you see it in the new city. But it's God's people living in God's land under his rule and reign. Mm. God's people living in God's land under his rule and reign. So you have Adam and Eve, God's people, living in his land. What was his land? The Garden of Eden. And they were to expand it. And they were, and, but if they were going to expand the Garden of Eden as they were fruitful, multiply, and filled the earth, then they would have to live under his rule and reign. Well, don't eat from this one tree. You can have from any tree, don't eat from this one tree. That was his rule and reign. Uh, you have the promised land. God's going to give them the Ten Commandments, and then they're going to have all of these other laws. That's his rule and reign. The reason why he gives them the law is that they are his people living in his land under his rule and reign. But you see in their history that they didn't follow the law. Uh, they were idolaters. They they were syncretistic worshipers. You, that, you say, that, that's a big word. Well, that means that, you, sure, they, they dabbled in worship of Yahweh, but they also dabbled in worship of, of Baal, and all you know the Ashereth and all of these other deities from these surrounding pagan nations, and so God eventually kicks them out of the land. And so now, what what's God's land? Well, again, His land is the entire globe. He has created the heavens and the earth. All of the earth is the Lord's, mm. and and all therein is His. And so now He has sent His people to the far ends of the earth. So it's God's people living in God's land. And what are his people to live under? His rule and reign. Mm. Jesus is the king. Jesus is our savior. We look to him. And so that's why it's so important to, to understand the gospels, to understand the New Testament, and to understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Yeah. You know, so because Jesus fulfilled a lot of the laws in the Old Testament, he fulfilled the civil, the ceremonial. That's why we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats anymore. But as Paul would say in Romans 12, that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So every single day that we live, guess what we're doing? We are sacrificing our lives on the altar of God's glory for his mission that Jesus might reign in and through us. And so, and then at the very end of, of time, when when Jesus comes back a second time and institutes the new city, what you have is God's people living in God's land under his rule and reign. Mm. And so, so again, all of that, you know, again, that, that's a theme that yeah. you really do see yeah. in, in Joshua. And when you don't live in his land under his rule and reign, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. Yeah. And that, uh, and we don't have to be talked into that. We, we know that. We see that. Um, we see evidences of that. All throughout Scripture, we see evidences of that throughout our own lives, um, throughout our culture, et cetera. Um, so let's look at under the listen up section. Um, you you gave us this list, what does God want to do today? Um, this long list, expose darkness, forgive sin, clean messes, purify love, give generously, men, men hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm interested, how do you come up with a list like this? Um, what's, I mean, your, what's your process? Because you, you come up with a lot of lists, and, and I think this is one that uh, – is it just something you think about and it just comes to mind? I mean, is it a result of, of all your studying, or is there is there any sort of uh, uh, behind-the-scenes technique, or it's just, it's just, like I said, a result of uh, what no. you've been learning? No, I, I would say that it – I mean, I do listen to a lot of, a lot of pastors preaching, but – 
uh, people don't I, I'm the people that I've listened to they, they don't give lists like this um, but for me and I started this years ago I mean I, again I can show you messages where I just I, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm applying a truth to I'm trying to hit everybody out there uh, yeah you, you know so so this list you, you know it, if I just did three things it might not hit everyone but if i did this entire list i'm going to try to hit everyone yeah and so that's where these lists come come in to play is that they're more applicable yeah you know th- this is what god wants to do so what what are promises that if you you take the scope of scripture what are promises that god wants to do today like so i just start i mean and i i could make the list even longer but i also try to make it in terms of a rhythmic you know, list like there's a rhythm to it that I can get into. Um, and one of the, one of the difficulties because I could probably even rattle them even quicker. Quicker. <laughs> but I know that I, I I know that we have the sign language. So like Christina, yeah. So she, but she loves it when I go fast. Oh, but I does. mean, yeah, oh, she does. She's like, yeah, she gets into it. So you got you got the sign language over here. So you, I'm I'm trying to be a little respectful of them. And then also our eleven o'clock gathering, we have Spanish translation and Portuguese translation. So I'm trying to honor them because I know it's going to be tough to try to keep up with that yeah. that list. And so that's but but yeah, that's the reason why I'm I'm very methodical about these lists cuz I I'm, I'm really trying to hit a, as many people as I possibly can because like think about repair images. There are a lot of people that they struggle with their self and their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. God God doesn't want you to struggle with your self-esteem. Yeah. He wants to repair your image. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants he wants that to, to happen in your life and then, you know, overcome tragedies. You know, there are a lot of people that, that they face tragedies, but God wants, he wants you to be more of an an overcomer, that you are more than a conqueror. And so, and then rewrite stories. Some of you, you you feel like your, your past is tainted. And so, but here's the thing that we know about the Lord is that although that might be your first three chapters of life, uh, he can rewrite your story and then he can actually redeem your pain. And, and, I mean, so, the, like, I want to bring all of that and then, like, you know, um, cleanse words. I mean, some of you got a potty mouth. Uh, some of you are complainers and people who grumble and hmm. are divisive and you slander yeah. and you tear down. But what he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to cleanse your words. Yeah. He wants to purify your words, right? And so, like, purify love. So, again, like, what, what I mean by that is this idea of purifying love is that, we might have a concept of what love is, but no, he wants to purify that. That's what he wants. He wants to purify love yeah. and how you love people. Mm. And so, I mean, again, I mean, I could go through the whole thing of, you know, calm yeah. souls, yeah. You, you know, anxiety. He wants to calm your soul. Mm. So, And what I hear from, from that is, is you really trying to um, describe the robust nature of the gospel. Yeah. That it really does speak to us. Because what's interesting about a list like that, um, oftentimes you'll, you'll hear people saying, hey, the preacher was speaking right to me. Yeah. Right? That's what a list like that can do. Yeah. But if you really re-listen to that sermon a year from now, it's going to hit different. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's yeah. hit different. Well, and and just uh, again, this list. These are promises that that God wants to do, but this is again, it's part of the listen up part. As as a pastor, 
leading his church, I, I, I want us to realize that we, we need to be faithful to his word. Like if we want to see him expose darkness, we do need to execute what we know about who he is and what he calls us to do. Mm-hmm. If we really want to defeat Satan, mm-hmm. again, we, we need to execute. We need to execute that. If we want him to heal marriages, well, then we need to make sure that we're holding up Jesus as the center, right? Like if we want him to reconcile races, it's not going to be through legislation. And again, I'm not against le- legislation. No, I, I, I think that needs to be to hold order within within a society that does not hold Jesus as the center and supreme. But I think it's the church that leads out into the reconciliation uh, of races, right? So, um, so again, all of these things, like we, we need to hold those things in tension, that these are God's promises, but if we want to see God's promises fulfilled, mm. we need to execute his plan that he has outlined in his word. Great. So let's do uh, one final question. It'll be up in the load up section. I want to talk about the law of gospel motion. Yeah. So you coined this law of gospel motion for um, for every – remind me what it is. Cause it's, it's for every gospel action. Yeah. There's an attempt by the evil one to have an equal and opposite reaction. And I say attempt because, again, we we know from the scriptures that Satan cannot overcome God, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so there's an attempt. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But there's an attempt. Perfect. So so I, I wonder how have you seen this play out in your life? Or in the life of uh, churches you've been a part of, or or even here. Yeah. So, Just all right. A chance for you to reflect on this. Yeah. So, all right. Um, let, let's use Israel as a story. All right. So, Numbers thirteen, Numbers fourteen. God wants to give them the promised land. I've been promising this land to my people for four hundred years since Abraham. So Moses sends some spies just to see, just to see, just get a scope on the land, who's in there. And they come back and they, majority of them say, we, we, we can't do it. Yeah. So immediately what you have is sabotage, sabotage. And so, and I, again, their heart was in the right place. I mean, think about it. All right, so you're, you're these men that come back and, and you're just looking at the size of these people. You're looking at the number of these people. You're looking at their skilled for war. We're not. And so when you start looking and comparing, then you, you could imagine, well, I, I, I don't want to die. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to expose my, my family to, to danger. Mm-hmm. And, and so because they were, they, they were looking through human eyes, and trying to protect what they were doing is sabotaging God's will, mm. sabotaging God's promises. Mm. And so because of how they filled or filled, <laughs> how they felt, that's really bad English. That's that Southern, that's that Southern English coming out in it, you know, how they feel. Yeah, so <laughs> how they how they felt. It was their opinion. It wasn't what God's promise. Well, God promised it was their opinion. Yeah. And and so, again, what I've seen in churches that I've pastored and what, 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 I've, what, what I've seen and, and other stories that I've heard is where God wants to lead a church, there, there's, there's sabotage lurking 
un- underneath. And that sabotage can be seen in so many different ways. Uh, one area of sabotage is a scarcity mentality. Well, we don't want to lose anybody. Yeah. Well, hang on. Are, are you more concerned about pleasing God or keeping people? Because if you're more concerned about keeping people than you are pleasing God, then you're no longer God. You're no longer a church that is seeking the will of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care for people. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love people. I'm not saying that we should pastor people. But I always tell people that 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 when it comes to pastoring, you know, people are ours to care for. They're they're not ours to keep. Mm. You know, they're they're they are gods to keep. Mm. And, and and because they are gods to keep, we are to care and we are to shepherd well. But but what I see and what I've seen and what what is a danger in the American church is we try to pacify people and to keep them happy and satisfied so that they will stay and not leave. And when you do that, you got a country club than you do more so than you have a church. And so people's preferences, opinions, and feelings are sabotaging because, again, you're trying to keep them pacified. Also, another way is fear. Well, we've never done it that way before. We cannot do that. Or what about, you know, and so they kill how or they kill wow with how like instead of like or man this this is this is incredible like god wants to do this through us like uh, he he wants us to to reach the nations he wants us to plant churches he wants us to multiply disciples he wants like like a lot of times people kill wow with how well, well how do you actually really do that well hang on let again if we have to understand that god's vision for his church is bigger than our vision for his church oh, amen I mean, you just imagine being one of the one of the eleven, because Judas had hung himself. But being one of the eleven, and Jesus saying, "I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations." Well, <laughs> that's a big vision for a time period that people didn't travel all throughout the world. In that sense, like people typically just stayed where they were born. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, no trains, no planes, no automobiles. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, could you imagine them starting to? kill God's vision for worldwide outreach with, how are we actually going to do that? Yeah. And so, um, I mean, so th- there's so many different things that if we're not careful, uh, but but another one is division, and this is a huge one. Hmm. Uh, we saw that in, we actually see that in the New Testament in in Corinth is they actually, they actually wanted to sabotage the, the church based upon the division that that existed between leaders. Well, I follow Paul. I followed Apollos. I follow, you know, and, and Paul's like, well, listen, we need to understand what our role and responsibility uh, is as, uh, or what, what, what our role and responsibility uh, are as leaders. And that is just our faithfulness to what God has called us to, right? So Apollos, planted, I watered, but it's God that gave the increase. So if you want to follow anybody, follow God. Yeah. You, you know, we're, 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 just, we're just a conduit of what God, you know, and so if you want to sabotage the church, go ahead and be, you know, divisive over, well, I, you know, I really like him. I like how he preaches. Well, now I, re- I, want, I want to hear him preach. And so you get so divisive over your preferential element of what you want versus 
what God wants. So those are so many, and I could, I could just go on and on of how, again, th- this idea of <laughs> what uh, what the law of gospel motion actually uh, really is. And so that's why Jesus has to remain the focus. Thanks for that. Wow, what a... Uh... What an incredible list. You're obviously passionate about this. It's something you think about. And when you introduced uh, me to that that idea, it's something that I've been looking for. And um, and it's actually been encouraging. As as I feel like we're making progress, I feel the the pushback. And um, and and uh, you know, I just I just recognize and notice. Hey, this is this is progress that we're making for the kingdom. Amen. And. Um, and the gates of hell will not defeat the church. So um, thanks for your uh, your passion and your information this week. We look forward to this next weekend when uh, we will be unpacking the new mission statement. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, so Northland, it is a joy each week to have you listen in. Continue to join us as we learn together. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.